Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Tech John episode 08. We've got a bit of a different vibe this week as we interview Professor Tanya M. Evans, crypto expert and host of the Tech Intersect podcast. But first, we kick off the show with the dad tax on Halloween candy and a couple of tech stories. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life's Death. And coming out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. I'm excited, y'all. We, yeah. we got a first guest. We got a first guest. We did a live stream last week. We got a guest this okay. week. We are cooking with gas legit. on the Tech John podcast. Great, legit. <laughs> so, um, y'all had good weeks? Yep. Uh, I had to institute the uh, yearly uh, dad tax when it comes to the Halloween candy. So, uh, you know, we did, of course, you know, I've got younger kids. So they did the Halloween thing. This is the first time in years, actually, I've been off. Halloween. Normally, I'm the one schlepping the kids around the neighborhood because uh, first couple of years, my wife was pregnant. And then um, just after that, you know, just circumstance had me out there. So this is the first week I got to sit around the house and even super off because my daughter, she's at that age to where she's like, yeah, I'm too old for uh, trick or treating. Man. So that was uh, never a thing for me. I was like, I'm too old. What you mean? I'm too old. <laughs> I don't think I was I like 26 the last time I stopped going, but you know, I'm just yeah, yeah. Like so, candy, free candy is free candy. Yeah. So peer pressure, whatever. She actually manned the candy. So when the kids came to knock on the door, she was the one dishing out candy. So I actually got to sit in my family room and catch up on sports. So that's what I did for Halloween. Like I said, when the kids got home, I instituted the dad tax. And had to make sure I get my cut. That's right. Before, <laughs> before the kids get to partake. So it was a good night, good night, good weekend for me. But uh, it, this is a tech show, so we probably should go ahead and talk about some tech. And and Terrence, you you actually popped a story in our notes that you know really piqued my ear because I I know and have a lot of family members who are truck drivers. So uh, why don't you tell us about the first autonomous EV that's going to be hitting the states here? Well, or yeah, I should say so autonomous want, truck. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this in as more of a question more than anything, but I want to give some context. So I read a story about the first autonomous electric vehicle freight truck to hit the U.S. courtesy of a partnership between General Electric and a Swedish manufacturer called Einride. Einride? I want to say Einride. Uh, so, yeah, basically they have created this partnership. Uh, they're going to bring these pod trucks to GE's 750-acre appliance park in Louisville, Kentucky, 
before expanding to other sites in Tennessee and Georgia. And of course, they've got a statement about, you know, how these um, uh, these remote operated pod systems are being installed in scale and how they're going to reduce environmental footprint and how they're going to do all this worldwide technology, yada, 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 so on and so forth. So uh, I guess I just wanted to ask the question, even though we've got Tesla doing autopilot and we've got companies like, I think, Waymo. Um, yeah. yeah, is one and, of the companies. And Zook is another one. Right. They're trying to do not only just autonomous, you know, personal vehicles, but autonomous commercial and fleet vehicles. I guess I just wanted to ask the question, is autonomous, not just electric vehicles, because I kind of know that that's going to be the future, but autonomous vehicles, do you think autonomous vehicles are going to take off so much so to where they start to supplant or even take the place of actual drivers? Especially, I wanted to bring that up because of this whole truck driver shortage. Now, I know electronic, I mean, I'm sorry, autonomous vehicles are not going to be able to help this uh, current issue with being a lack of truck drivers, but will, do you really think autonomous vehicles, when the next truck driver shortage comes up, will you think that that will actually be a viable option? Or is this just a wishful thing to where maybe down the road, but we'll still need regular drivers? I don't see regular drivers ever going away. And I don't even know how much these vehicles will replace. Um, I think um, human nature being what it is, people are not going to want to give up their cars the same way they don't want to give up their guns. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also I think the, it's going to take, uh, it's still going to take years and years and years of AI training, um, for any of these vehicles to truly be safe on the roadway. But I don't know that there is enough AI training to account for the other cars on the road for an autonomous, right. for an autonomous vehicle to be safe enough with other drivers. Cause you, you, we've all been on 95 and, and the way folks cut those trucks off and they're all, you know, all pissed cause they're going too slow or they get on a hill and slow down and then people are tailgating or in. So it's just like, it, I, I believe that had we not had the human factor in there, they could work, but the fact that you'd have those trucks on the road with other human drivers, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the, the, the sort of sticking point um, in getting these vehicles on the road safely. Now, I, th- I think for uh, th- these particular trucks that are coming to GE from Einride, they're going to be, uh, and I think they call it like level one and level two. So these are going to be driving around GE's massive Right. complex mm-hmm. is like seven. I think it's like the, the complex that's going to get it first is like 780 acres or something like that. So it's well over, you know, you know, square mile and a half that, uh, these trucks are just going to be driving on the actual campus and maybe short jaunts on public access roads in between facilities. Like they may have to like drive out of a, of, of a right. lot, get on a road that actual people drive on, go, you know, you know, a couple hundred meters and then, you know, turn in and, and, you know, go back into the plant. So I believe that these are only, um, and for that application, I think it, it's perfect. Right. right. And, and I think they only have like a range of like 110 miles. So you, these are, these are definitely not long haul. These are to move stuff around in relatively close distances to each other. Mm-hmm. Now to answer the other part of your question. So I think autonomous vehicles are going to take off more so with trucks. Uh, than they will with cars, at least more quickly. Um, and that's just because people are just going to be resistant 
to I, I, I like driving my car. Um, mm-hmm. Like my you grandfather, yeah, yeah, way back in the day, my grandfather used to. He would cut the seatbelts out of his car. I want to be thrown clear, right. and it's like, pops, uh, do you actually? The yeah, I want. I want to be. He wanted to be thrown clear from the car if he got in an accident. He wanted to be. He didn't want to be trapped in the firebox. And I think but he people didn't realize are going to go through the windshield to get thrown clear. You don't trust him, <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> he says it. That's just how it is. So, uh, but anyway, I think a lot of people are going to be like that with autonomous cars. No, I want to be in control. So I think you're going to see it move more quickly uh, with uh, you know trucking companies just because they're not looking at it from what makes you comfortable it is what is their bottom line these things are safer more fuel efficient um, and ultimately are going to cost them less to run because they don't have to pay humans to be in them so from that standpoint i think they're going to take off now the larger part um last time i checked the trucking industry is one of the large you know being a trucker is one of the most common jobs that there is there's with a well over three and a half million uh, truckers is, I think, close to 400,000 independent operators. Um, when you have that many people that are doing something that they probably love doing, um, they will lobby and lobby and lobby to make sure that laws don't change that allow them to lose, uh, you know, revenue. Now, I think that, you know, there there probably was a time when stagecoach operators were complaining about cars and clearly, you know, we don't have that as an issue anymore, but it's not going to be an overnight thing because we're talking about so many truckers and so many trucks, these trucks, you know, they don't replace them every four or five years. They replace them, you know, every 15, 20 years in some cases. So um, I think that you're going to it's going to be a while. And I I think a lot of what's going to happen is that, yeah, there's there's a trucking shortage right now. I don't think autonomous does anything to address what's happening right now. The way I see this working is possibly um, the same way you have like bus lanes in cities um, or HOV lanes, I see dedicated autonomous truck lanes on highways, especially, you know, cross country interstates. If you had a dedicated, I mean, you still aren't going to necessarily keep humans driving out of that lane. But I think if it's just literally a lane full of autonomous trucks, you know, that eliminates a lot of the risk that mitigates a lot of the risk around people driving and cutting them off and, and the truck not being able to, um, account for a human driver in, in their presence, you know, in the truck's presence. So I could see that, or, you know, maybe even building something like that, like a railroad, it would be like the new railroad pretty much. So you have this Mm -hmm. completely, you know, empty lane highway that is made specifically for autonomous vehicles. Um, So if we could get to something like that, then I, I say it's a viable option. But if you're putting these trucks on the same road as people, that ain't going to work. <laughs> right. And, that, and that's what I was going to say. I would I would assume that infrastructure would have to be in place long mm-hmm. before this becomes a standard. And yeah. the way <laughs> politicians are tripping about this infrastructure bill, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Infrastructure. And also, like I said, I just, I don't see the three and a half million truckers that are out there. It's like, so there, you're saying there's nothing I can do? What if I vote this way? Uh, what if I put this person in office? There's going to be so much lobbying for those folks, as as it should be. It's like, you know, that's, that's a big segment of America. Uh, what is it? One out of every 80 people that are, works driver truck. Are we truck. ever going to get, though, to truly autonomous? Right now, there is not a truly autonomous situation where there's not also a person in the vehicle monitoring, right. you know, 
speed and, and just making sure everything is everything. So if, if, if that is the case, then you still need the driver. The driver is just not actually going to be doing much. And uh, the AI and, and the systems of the truck sort of operate at their peak efficiency, but the driver's there just in case. And I don't know that any trucking company would want to um, assume the risk of having a completely driverless vehicle on the road. So I think you still need the driver. So I don't think, I don't think drivers get taken out of the story. I just think maybe, you know, like Taryn said, you build that infrastructure that allows for those vehicles to be on the road safely by themselves in their own lane or whatever. But then you keep the drivers as that fail safe. Um, you know, and they could be in a truck like chilling, or, you know, doing whatever they do while the while the truck's doing this own driving. Um, I, I think it could be a win win, honestly, if we get that mm -hmm. infrastructure to, to make it happen. Yeah. Last mile, last mile truckers, th those jobs aren't going to go anywhere because what autonomous vehicles still have issues with is dealing with crazy people that do things that the AI didn't anticipate and they sit there and they stop. It's not that they're going to have an accident is that they'll sit there and they'll just wait until they figure it out. And you've got a lot of stuff doing that. Then, you know, it's, it's going to slow, slow things down. So I think that you definitely want to see like those last mile driver jobs. Those will be the absolute last ones to go away. I mean, it could work. We'll yeah, see. It could. So but like it's, I said, it's on its way. Clearly. Yeah. He has it on his way. Right. So, and then Stephanie, you had a, uh, you know, pretty interesting story as well about uh, what Apple did with, uh, you know, just disabling cookies and stuff, for lack of a better word, and right. how much money that's costing all these social media companies. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So Apple, um, you know, if you if you did your update uh, back with, I think it was like 14.8 or something like that, um, there was a part of the update around privacy called App Tracking Transparency, ATT, and you get a pop-up you got a pop-up when you opened any app asking you, do you want to allow this app to track your data around the web? And you could say yes, allow or, or never or whatever. And apparently that uh, it's working because <laughs> a lot of people are, are choosing not to be tracked to the tune of 9.85 roughly billion dollars that um, social media companies like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube are saying that they've lost in advertising revenue. So, um, yeah, you know, and, 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 and the question now becomes if they've lost 10 billion, what have small businesses lost? Because the Facebook's whole argument against this was that, you know, they use the small businesses that use Facebook, you know, almost exclusively as their as their sales platform, um, use those targeted personalized ads to find their best customers on that platform. So if you're taking away data, you're not allowing for that personalization. Those companies don't get to target um, the the people that are really going to be their customers. So now you're spending more per click to try to find your ideal customer, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's going to cost you more money and be less effective um, with their because they're not targeting. So um, I couldn't find any data around what small businesses have have suffered as a loss um, in the same time frame. But I, I have to imagine if if somebody could figure out that these few companies lost $10 billion, small businesses also must be suffering as well. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm making a joke, but maybe I'm halfway serious. I don't know. But maybe the businesses that are losing the most money as a result of this small businesses <laughs> are the companies that their sole operation is hire me 
to help you run your Facebook ads. Well, 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 well. <laughs> we got it. We got it. You know, I kid, I kid, but I'm halfway uh, serious. I mean, listen, everybody's got to hustle, right? Yep. So there are a lot of businesses out there hustling on Facebook, on Instagram, mm -hmm. saying, hey. Stop spilling that tea, Terrence. <laughs> Pay me X amount of dollars. Let me run your Facebook ads. I'll show you the returns or whatever the metrics are. And, you know, you fire yourself. You don't have to manage your own ads, so on and so forth. So maybe those are the ones that are getting hurt. And then maybe the actual small business, we may not see that actual, you know, end result until maybe, you know, sometime next year. Yes. But somebody's getting hurt by this, obviously. Yes. And I'm pretty sure... Facebook and, you know, these other companies, Google, they're not eating all that. They're passing it on to somebody. They definitely are. And it's funny because Apple actually um, almost got themselves in trouble for this same thing. You know, they're they're collecting personal. Every, everybody's collecting data. Let's just mm -hmm. baseline that. Everybody's mm -hmm. getting data one way or another. It's just a matter of whether or not you know they're doing it and 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 having that information before they collect the data so that you can make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. Right. I was uh, you know, looking at this story and it just reminded me back when Apple first announced this and Facebook took up full page ads in oh, newspapers. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, wait a minute, you are on the side of the small business or the small company. But aren't right. you the one who took away uh, organic reach out of the algorithm? Aren't you the ones <laughs> who basically started putting boost, uh, you know, boost post on every single time you every post something um, on a page? It's like I mean, you can't you can't go on Facebook and just get a a, a true chronological nope. view of your news feed anymore. Every post is based on some sort of algorithm. And again, like you said, Rob, you know. Uh, you made the bed. Now you got to sleep in it. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, Facebook did all this stuff to take all of that organic stuff away that businesses were using. And now you're complaining that, well, you know, a company whose whose product is not people, their products are products. We talked about that in our, in our second or third episode. Uh, they've actually decided that, you know what? Way too many people are saying they don't like being tracked like this. So we're going to turn it off. And this is something that I've learned having worked in software for the better part of the last 30 years um, or close to it. Um, if you are partnering with someone and I'm using partner very loosely. So in, in, in the way that you would partner with with Facebook, that you're going to as a company. Um, and I'm talking about Facebook. You're partnering with Apple in the sense that, well, you know, people who have iPhones run our stuff, you need to make sure that you're actually a partner who, where Apple's going to consult you on changes that they make in their roadmap as compared to just running you over in the road when they decide to make a change, because this is what happened here. I, you know, I've always believed this. If you are building your platform on somebody else's platform, you are their product, not Absolutely. their partner. Because Apple already has their own um, advertising business that they expect Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and at all to participate in, to get featured on their app store pages and in their new, in the Professor news in the Apple news feed and all the rest of that. So Apple has their own agenda as well. We're not saying Apple was completely altruistic in doing this. And to your point, Rob, about, um, being the product on someone else's platform, I believe this is partly at least 
why Mark Zuckerberg is so hype on this daggone metaverse um, because he wants to be the one. He hates the fact that his his software has to live on somebody else's hardware platform. He mm-hmm. absolutely hates that. And and he's beholden to Apple, Android, Google, whomever um, to to basically administer his product the way they see fit. So he wants to be on the ground floor of the hardware portion of this whole metaverse idea so that he can control it the way he sees fit, even though he keeps claiming, you know, the metaverse is going to be open source and open to everybody and open, 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 open. Yeah, once you buy our hardware to get yeah, on Yeah, exactly. Right. Once you buy our glasses or, or our whatever, <laughs> now you can do whatever you want. But he wants a piece of that pie really, really badly. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So we're to that part of the show where uh, we all said we were excited about. Um, so we have a guest and I'm going to bring them on stage right now. Yes. Let me give her her flowers while she here. Ow. So we have a Let's go. 50 over 50 2021 list member in the building. Tanya M. Evans is a professional speaker, published author, investor, entrepreneur, and tenured professor of law at Penn State Dickinson Law School with an expertise in blockchain and cryptocurrency, data, technology, entertainment law, and social justice. She also founded Advantage Evans Academy, created the popular From Cash to Crypto, Decode the Future, and NFT Law Guide onboarding programs, and hosts the Tech Intersect podcast, a weekly podcast that highlights new and notable experts at the intersection of law, business, and technology. And she does a whole bunch of other stuff, but we want to get right to the to the to the meat of the <laughs> of the of the, uh, of the broadcast. And welcome, Professor Tanya M. Evans, to the show. What's up, girl? Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. This is welcome. an honor and a pleasure. You are Hello, our very everyone. First Good to meet you. See you. Super, super happy to have you on. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. I love it. And congratulations on the launch. Thank you. Thank you you so much. And uh, so uh, Stephanie just said, you think we're ready to get guests yet? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, sure. Cool. I know somebody. (laughs) And I want to make sure I put respect on all of your names. So you're a professor, a doctor. A, a, a lawyer, you, you, you got all the all these things. Entrepreneur, doctor of the laws, doc, doctor of the laws. So I like doctor. push two into one. So there you go. 
So uh, we, we are just really happy to have Qualified you on the show. And uh, we're going to talk about some crypto, some Bitcoin, some blockchain, all, all that kind of good stuff. So I don't want to keep talking. I want to let you go ahead and kind of just, uh, you know, Stephanie, uh, I, I know you had some questions lined up, but uh, you got the intro in. Let's go ahead and get into talking about Bitcoin. That's that's my question. Right. So let's just start at the let's start at the beginning. You know, let's go back to the basics. Explain it to me like I'm five. Yes. Um, crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin. Let's kind of sort of set the mm. foundation for for those three things. So let's start with in order to really understand crypto, I always start with just what is money. I feel right. like a lot of times my education about finances and money has really come despite my 52 years on this planet. Thanks, Forbes, for letting people know all my business, but it's out there, right? So no cracks detected, so I'm That's proud. Right. I'll lean Listen. into it. Um, definitely. But to understand it is to really understand value. And think about centuries ago and over the centuries and millennium, there have always been different ways to transact value, both within a community and outside of a community, particularly if you didn't know the folks outside of your community. Mm -hmm. If it's tight and you're making shoes and I'm making clothes and someone has a five and dime at the corner, right? They have the corner store. Sometimes you all know each other in a very small area and it's easy to um, transfer value even when it's not technically money. You say, uh, I make shoes and you raise chickens and we're going to exchange and we're going to be able to survive that way. Outside of your community, when you don't have trust, that's how a monetary system even developed because not everybody was trading shoes for chickens, right? And you had to be able to um, interact in terms of commerce with other groups. And think about all the different ways that we've transacted value. Um, shells, salt, sugar, and sugar cane, unfortunately, people. So there have always been different representations of value over time. But what we saw uh, governments do is to really create their own type of currencies that they issue really to fight wars. <laughs> Taxing really goes into wars and a lot of different things. But cryptocurrency is another way to transact uh, value outside of a government structure. That doesn't mean it is illegal, but it is an alternative form. If you and I agree that you're going to give me some of your fly glasses for um, some graphic T-shirts, then we could do that. It's not illegal. It's just not government issued money, also known as fiat. So crypto at a high level, that's just another way to exchange value, but it's not issued by a government um, and it's not controlled by private entities. I heard you all talking about private entities before we even hopped on. Um, and so uh, that's how you think about crypto. Bitcoin is the OG in the space. It was launched in 2009. It's the first type of cryptocurrency. There were other um, digital assets that came before Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is a, a game changer because it used a special type of encryption called cryptography, which is where the crypto comes from for cryptocurrencies. And it's a way to secure the money so that you can't, you can only spend it once. So think about um, at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, like Napster and Grokster and BitTorrent, which is still around, but a lot of those others weren't. That peer-to-peer -peer technology allowed us to 
send an MP3 file to a thousand of our not so closest friends, but we still had the original. You can't do that with digital money. And obviously that would be very dangerous if you were able to do so. Right. And, and cryptography has a way of avoiding that. So it's a really secure way to transact value without being in a certain country in order to do so. And it's just making it better, faster and cheaper for you to buy things and for you to trade, for you to exchange, for you to do um, money transmission around the world. So that that's crypto and, and Bitcoin. And then final point about blockchain, think of blockchain as um, a record that is shared by multiple people. Like think of a group text. Even if you delete a group text off of your phone, as long as one person still has the record of your communications on their phone, it still exists. And we're not really talking about the, the, the um, you know, like the phone companies, that's a whole other thing. But just think if the five of us, excuse me, the four of us were texting and I deleted off my phone, you three still have it on your phones. Mm -hmm. That's a permanent record that makes it more difficult to destroy. And so, you know, extrapolate that to millions of computers maintaining a record. So it's not centralized with any one party. It's not a Facebook thing. It's not a government thing. It's a thing that is uh, maintained by this network of computers. And you actually don't have to do that in order to hold Bitcoin. It's just another aspect of the network that allows computers to maintain that single source of the, the, the transactions and the balances at any given time. That's all it is. It's a digital record that is controlled by a network as opposed to one entity um, or one corporation, one, one government. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I like the group chat analogy because I've been, I read you can about see it, right? Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I keep reading articles. What is Bitcoin? And in the moment that I'm reading it, I understand it perfectly, but then I right. click away from that that tab and it's like what is, what is blockchain again? Um, so yeah, that idea right. of of the uh, of the group chat because I hate group chats, so I'll never forget that. Um, the idea of the exactly <laughs> yeah it makes a lot of sense. I, I like that. Okay, so we got crypto. And one other thing is that let me say this one other thing: when people say blockchain, it's as if it's one thing. There are thousands of blockchains and you start to think of it as, um, you know, you have the internet, but a lot of times you also have intranets and other people who control things within. And so Bitcoin has its own blockchain. Ethereum, the, the second by market, um, market capitalization, Ethereum or Ether, it has its own blockchain. There are some uh, digital currencies that are recorded, their transactions and balances are recorded on an existing blockchain. And then there are some where there's a native coin. So that's the difference between a coin and a token. A lot of people don't use the terms properly. So sometimes people will say token and coin interchangeably, but the real definition, if there's a token that doesn't have its own record, and so it is bringing its transactions and balances to an existing blockchain. Um, and, and so that's a slight difference. But Block, Bitcoin blockchain was the first. Um, there are over 13,000 different types of cryptocurrencies right now. We could make one right now just with a, a short string of software code and we could create, look, we could create the tech John coin if that's Listen, what you all want to do. We need we to can, get we can work we on that. We have our own coin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's go. And then, how would we make that worth something? Is it basically worth something because it, people believe it's worth something? Is that kind of the gist? I or love you, the question. How do you make that worth something? 
Absolutely. And that's the right question to ask, too. And that's probably the number two question. Number one question is always, if is it legal? The number two question is, where does it get its value? And it is driven by the same market principles as a lot of, of value, supply and demand. Um, think about the dollar as well. And I always turn that question back on people for it hasn't the, the United States dollar um, has not been backed by gold for decades. So what is really backing the dollar? It's not even fully collateralized. If we all went to the bank to pull out our dollars, everybody ain't getting their dollars. I don't care what type of FDIC insurance is involved. So um, it's the, full, you know, on the, the USD side, it's the full faith and credit of the government. On the crypto side, it is driven by supply and demand. You've seen a lot of these wacky meme coins that have hit. Oh, I don't want to, you know, disrespect anybody. These very interesting meme coins like Doge, Doge. which does actually have value. I think it's like at 28 cents or something like that. Uh, you have a follow on meme coin, the Shiba Inu, that's yeah. not even worth a penny. But some people held a whole bunch of them. And as the price pumped and dumped, a lot of people made some money and a lot more people got left holding the bag when it goes up and goes down very quickly. So that's the supply and demand thing. And one of the beauties of the cryptocurrency ecosystem is that it is driven by community, which actually mm -hmm. is a very exciting feature of it. Interesting. It, it, yeah, I, I, I can see that, but community is so fickle. Mm. But I guess that's life. You, you you take the risk. So you talked about the idea of the difference between a coin and a token. So an mm. NFT is a non-fungible token, right? And so now mm -hmm. where does that where does that come in? If that's not backed on its own blockchain, um, by your definition, um, where does it get back? And then how does that exist on the internet? Well, explain what an NFT is. I'm just running my mouth. Um, and then talk about how it um, can exist on an internet when everything is so readily available for download. And, and people can screen capture and people can just, you know, figure out their own ways to download that asset. You know, mm -hmm. how does an NFT remain an NFT when anybody with an internet connection and can have it? Great questions. So a non, in order to talk about what a non-fungible token is, let's talk about what fungibility is or what, what it means to be fungible. Fungibility is interchangeability. And I'll use currency as another example. It doesn't matter which dollar bill I have, even though they technically have a serial number on them. It's, it's the dollar is the dollar. It holds the same value. They're interchangeable. A non-fungible token is unique. And also it is verifiably unique because of the, the technology, the software protocols. So it makes it really interesting to represent a unique asset in the same way that you could represent, um, at, before, before I go there, let me say that. So that's fungibility and non-fungibility. Okay. A non-fungible token is actually not the creativity, but it is ability to represent your ownership of some other Thing. So the non-fungible token asset, and we've heard a lot about it in the creative community or collectible community, the creativity or the collectible is referenced in the software um, code, but it is not in the NFT. The NFT is its own separate asset. NFTs are recorded to a blockchain and it depends on the type of NFT. The first um, platform or, or, or network to support NFTs was the Ethereum virtual machine. And uh, the Ethereum network is a little bit different than the than the Bitcoin blockchain because Bitcoin was really meant to just 
manage uh, transactions of value without running pieces of, of, of code to do something different. The Ethereum network runs like a virtual computer. The whole, um, I'll use a jargony term, unfortunately, we'll get away from it. The layer one of the Ethereum virtual machine was created to be, to operate like an operating system of your phone or of a laptop meant to build other things, decentralized applications, uh, smart contract code, non-fungible tokens. And so the Ethereum network was the first to support it. You have others now that are actually more efficient. They might be less of, um, Solana is another really interesting one, you know, of NBA Top Shot that basically did its own thing. So it's not on Ethereum or Solana or any of, any of them. They created their own blockchain to leverage their own IP. Now to Brother Tech's question, it's an important one to say, oh, well, let me let me go with this. So he asks, if you can see an image online, what is the point of representing that you have ownership and control? It's the same thing of me driving up and down Beverly Hills and I could take pictures of a house. That's very lovely. I don't own the house. Mm-hmm. My ability to exercise ownership and control over that house is because I have a deed. So think of a non-fungible token as the deed. So now, is a lot that of like, people can do me, a lot of things now, to let me jump in there. So is it could you also sort of make the connection between having the original painting and a print? So if if that's I have correct. if that's I correct. have the, if I own the NFT, if if I have an NFT of, you know, the because I, I I remember posting about the little girl. Um, that was in front of the fire, that meme of that little girl smirking in front of the fire. Like she sold that for $50,000. Yes. And so basically, you know, if, if there had been an original painting of that, I would technically own that. And then whoever maybe still has that meme on their phone or, you know, in, in some whatever, they have what, what would amount to a print of it. Is that a fair comparison? Yes. It is. And take it even a step further that you have a mug that has a picture of the Mona Lisa instead of the Mona Lisa. Right. Right. It's like, yeah. And if that's all you want, great. You have a a mug with a picture of the Mona Lisa or when you're using the reference to a a really cool uh, meme or GIF that's out there as well. And a lot of people can access it. But it's the difference of ownership and and really as a matter of empowerment, economic empowerment, financial inclusion, both on the crypto side and the non-fungible token side. It's all about ownership in 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 this new Web 3.0 world, all the metaverses and everything. If you don't own things in the next wave of this Internet, you are already behind. And that's mm-hmm. why we have a great advantage of, as black and brown people to to do this in a way we've not done before. So if you own it, I'm sorry, uh, Rob. I just I just like, uh, last question out. I, I you I, I got you right after this. Um, Rob was just he was like, <laughs> I know he was like ah. But you said something about about owning. So so if I own this, does that mean I can then license my IP? Yes, yes, and it's one of the most exciting things that I can think. I'm an intellectual property lawyer by training. And I do much of my work at the intersection of innovation and IP generally, but copyright specifically. And when someone sells back to your um, your example, maybe of the Mona Lisa or some other digital asset, when somebody sells that, think of how you buy a painting. The, most of those rules have not changed. If I buy a painting, I own the physical copy of that. Unless somebody has written it um, in, in a document that says I also received the copyright, I don't own the copyright to that painting. 
but I have the right to display and do make certain uses, monetize in some ways that physical painting. And much of the same thing is true in the digital space. When I own an NFT, it is effectively like a deed that connects me to that uh, that digital piece. It could be to a physical experience or a physical piece. I've purchased NFTs where I own the NFT, uh, the digital art, but also the artist will send me a physical copy that I can um, hang in my house. Um, and you see other IP intensive industries you mentioned, you know, we were talking about NBA Top Shots. Not only will you hold the N NFT for some really cool dunk or whatever happens, but it might also grant you special VIP privileges. So like fan engagement is really, really exciting now for, for NFT holders. It's like holding that, that golden ticket, only it's in right. digital form now. That is so interesting. So what I was going to say, and it was actually about, uh, you know, uh, Top Shot. My sister has mm. invested in rookie card sets for NBA players all going back. I think mm -hmm. her first one was when Penny Hardaway was a uh, was a rookie and she's just bought the rookie set every single year. And last year, maybe a year before that, she started getting really excited about this, uh, you know, this, the, these NFTs that you could get. And she was explaining it to me and I'm like, but I already have a video of that. Why? Why is your video of that more? Uh, or, or not even more, but why is yours authentic? She's like, because I have the rights to it. I can, you know, I can sell it. Mm -hmm. You can't sell your video. Um, you know, to use the, uh, the me, you know, I, I actually had that meme saved on a thumb drive or, or actually a, a hard drive of that little girl in front of the fire. I remember when it came up, I actually had that. I was like, okay, well, I already have this. It's like, no, you don't have the original picture. You just have a copy of it. So the original or the right. licensed one is the one that, uh, you know, people would actually, uh, you know, get all up in arms about and say, well, she sold this for well over $50,000, which I just thought was like, She's selling something that I've been looking at for 20 years. It's it's just amazing to me that you can do these kind of things. What I really wanted to ask you, though, my, my real question is, um, you know, about investing in cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky. I bought my first Bitcoin all the way back in 2012. Um, didn't know Amazing. what I was doing. Coinbase had just become a company. I let's put a hundred dollars in and see and, and, and see what happens. And I actually kind of forgot that I even had it until you know years later. Wait, what's what's going on? I think I have some of it. Let me go figure out what's going on with it. But uh, you know, I have been on a soapbox with just you know my friends and my family, and it's like if you would have just taken a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. not a year ago, not ten years ago, if you'd have taken a hundred dollars in April. And put it into this one thing. Right. It would be four hundred dollars today. And it's like, I don't know where else you can, you know, you know, get that kind of return on an investment. The questions that some who think about it will always come back with, well, it's so volatile, which it is. It's like, you know, I would never say, you know, put mm. all of your life savings in, you know, in, into crypto. You want to be diversified to a, a great extent. But what do you right. say? And, you know, like so I'm talking to my friends and family right now that you should be investing in cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is the big daddy. There's, uh, I think we just went over 18 million have been mined. There's, you know, close to 3 million left to be mined. Yep. There's still some to get. I, you know, That's I'm not correct. necessarily, you go set up a rig and mine it yourself, but you should at least be investing in it from where I sit. Can you significantly more right. intelligently than I have tell people why they should actually be looking at these things as investments, as alternative savings accounts? Because you get, 1% if you're lucky in a checking account. 
he might get 200% right. in Bitcoin over, you know, the last 10, 12 years. Sound like you answered her question before you gave her a chance to answer it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is, you know, the professor in me says repetition breeds retention. And go. we're actually going to have to say this over and over and over and over again, because what you are uh, talking about is a mindset shift. You can tell people all the facts and all the figures. And I do this all day, every day. And, and it doesn't matter. What really matters is. Are, do you want to participate in the future of wealth? Are you serious about creating generational wealth in this generation and the next? Are you ready to create the type of financial security that jealous white folks can't burn down tomorrow because you have this great town wow. where you're thriving? You went, you went straight uh, Greenwood on us. Man, <laughs> but it's, it's I'm not true. mad at that reference at all. Right. Right. Because when you really start to figure out and, and let's talk about why, let's talk about the economics of it. I when I started the Advantage Evans Academy last uh, June 30th of 2020, Bitcoin was around ninety one hundred dollars. The students that did what I told them to do, don't wait to figure this out. This is like looking under the hood of your car and expecting to know how everything works under there. I don't need to know that. I need to know that this car is going to get me from A to B. And if you're willing to listen to people. I'm one of the most highly, I know you all can't tell. I'm one of the most highly risk adverse people on this planet. My lawyer training and just my little uh, only child ways and not wanting to waste money or anything forced me to ask the questions that I'm now posing to you. But what I knew is enough smart people who seemed like they had it going on had figured that out. Enough people who looked like me who were taking a chance. Um, and so you just have to figure out and, and to bring it full circle right now, Bitcoin's at 62,000 right. per coin and you don't have to have an entire coin. Start with dollar cost averaging or what I would call mm -hmm. Satoshi cost averaging because the Satoshi is the smallest unit of a Bitcoin. A little bit over time, set it and forget it. You've done worse thing with $50 a month and learn while you are also earning. Don't wait until there is no point where you understand everything like that. so that it's safe to go into the waters. You know why it's safe? Because governments are putting it on their balance sheets. That's right. Because mm -hmm. companies are putting it on their balance sheets because all of the major banks in the world are quietly. I just did a presentation on Deutsche Bank quietly giving access to their high net worth clients. So why is it quiet and why is it high net worth? And the fact that we don't need any of that to participate. Right. You open up your cash app, you go to the last tab, buy some Bitcoin and just let it sit there. And then we'll do another episode to talk about what to do then. But right. do not wait another minute to empower yourself. Don't, excuse me, don't be defined by other people. This is something you can actually do by yourself right now, today, if you're ready. And right. even without paying um, MasterCard, just start offering rewards in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So That's as right. you're already, you're spending the money already anyway on whatever you charging up. So instead of getting airline miles or, or, you know, cash That's back, right. get the Bitcoin, just get the Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like That's that makes right. it easy because now it doesn't feel like it's coming out of your pocket personally, but you are, you know, like you said, accumulating this thing that could be the generational wealth that, you know, our, our people, you know, have been, have been looking to establish since we got here. Right. Um, so That's to piggyback right. on that. That's right. It's going to, in it's going to take a mindset shift, a mindset shift. Mm. 
um, and without giving up too information on my family, um, one of the things some uh, my family believes is if you get income and you pay your debts and at the end of the day, when you balance your checkbook, you're at zero, you're doing good. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think we are going as black folks specifically, we're going to have to change our mindset of money in general yep. when it comes to saving when it comes to investing, investing yeah. once we can get out of that mindset right. sh set shift, then we can say, okay, you have savings, you have investing. Uh, and when you talk about investing, most people think about stocks, but now we can introduce this new thing, right. cryptocurrency. And again, that comes along with, you know, trying to slowly but surely with re repetition, get people to learn more about cryptocurrency, which brings my question is, We've talked about mm -hmm. investing. We've talked about trading for goods using cryptocurrency. We've talked about NFTs and using cryptocurrency to own assets and control assets. What are some other things mm -hmm. you can do with cryptocurrency besides the things that we've already mentioned? And to give you like a, I'll give you a, give you an alley oop. Uh, talk about things like staking mm -hmm. crypto. You know, what are some mm -hmm. other? What are your top two or three things? that you can do besides buying, trading, investing in crypto? Generally speaking, one thing we didn't mention is the, the nature of, of Bitcoin and other crypto assets as being a capital asset. And so what was just mentioned is, is very, very important as uh, black and brown communities have focused mostly on education, high income, insurance, a house, and making sure that you don't, you know, overspend, right? And, and some type of, you know, minuscule savings. But we don't focus on capital assets, which is the re really the way that, that wealthy people transfer their assets from generation to generation. Crypto is taxed as a capital asset. So you are um, enjoying the upside in terms of gains and you, you absorb capital losses. It's taxed at a lower rate than income. That's why wealthy people don't want to carry a lot of income. You don't have to pay them another cent in their entire lives. They are focused on capital assets. Right. And this is one of the few types that we can immediately get into and secure to your point about decentralized finance, which is a, a term or DeFi, which is a term that's kicked around. I'm the, the chair of the Maker Foundation, which is uh, uh, responsible for the existence of the Maker DAO. So if you've heard of DAI, the stablecoin or MKR, the governance token, that's uh, the foundation early on was was bootstrapping that what you can. Uh, the final point about crypto is that oftentimes some people will spend it. I don't know a lot of people who are spending Bitcoin. If it could be ninety one dollars last year, sixty two thousand this year. I'm not spending Bitcoin, but I can let it sit for a while. So you mentioned the term staking. Staking is a way of think of it as as locking it up in like a CD. But something that you, you know, if you lock up Bitcoin and or any other type of cryptocurrency and you can earn a yield on that. Some go up into the, uh, like the double digits. I've locked for about six months in Bitcoin, ETH, um, Filecoin, and I think like Litecoin or something like that. And I don't use them. I, they sit around, so they might as well be making money. Everything in my house makes money, I assure you, um, including my money. And so locking it up and receiving two, three, seven, ten, twelve percent 12% interest, I've made almost $1,000 in six months time in interest alone. And I will wait for someone to tell me a bank account that pays you that much money, even if you have six or dare I say seven thousand, uh, seven figures in a bank. What bank is that? None. 
And in addition to that, I thought was interesting uh, just doing research and getting ready for this uh, show, you know, trying to figure out some questions. Mm -hmm. I thought it was so interesting that not only can you stake uh, crypto for the sole purpose of gaining interest, if you're not going to do anything with it, Mm -hmm. you can also uh, donate is not the right word, but staking also gives you the ability to uh, use your money to volunteer for other projects, other networks, other things that you believe in. Yes, so, right. So if we're talking about empowerment, so if we're talking about figuring out how to get black folks into this, because we know this is the future, mm-hmm. you know, figuring, learning just all the different ways crypto can be used, that definitely can be a benefit because you can, in fact, use it to build up a community, whether it be digital, and then use that assets to be able to help our community. So I just right. thought that was interesting. And one other way is 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 taking out a loan. You can mm-hmm. stake mm-hmm. it for your own benefit. And so it's a rough analogy, like pulling out equity in a home. Right. So that's not a taxable event and you pay it back and you unlock it and you can do what you need to do. And you don't have to uh, deal with a system that Predatory has lending. been systemically, uh, mm-hmm. you know, systemically right. uh, marginalizing us. So you do it on your own terms. So let me go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say, so for the, the, you know, just the regular person listening, um, you know, w- what is the easiest, uh, lowest barrier to entry way? to go out and buy some Bitcoin, to buy some Ethereum, to buy some Litecoin? You know, how how can just a regular person very easily go out and do that? Well, the easiest way to buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin is currently the only um, crypto asset available on Cash App, but that's the easiest way. Cash App, you, if you already have a Cash App account, it's already done what's called KYC AML or Know Your Customer Anti-Money Laundering. Um, a protocol so that they have your name, you have a bank account already attached. That's the quickest way to buy Bitcoin. Now, the second thing you need to do after you do that and set up some type of regular uh, purchasing is you need to educate yourself. This is a challenging space. Buying it is almost the easiest thing to do. Uh, Custodying your own money. We are not used to taking care of our own assets. We are used to giving it to somebody who we trust much more than ourselves with our own assets. And that's a mindset shift. And also it's practice. You, If you are not organized, you need to get your entire life together because this is a time and a reason to get organized because you don't want to leave your crypto. (laughs) I just, I did not say one person in particular, but if you know yourself, if you know yourself, because there's many, there are many people who have purchased Bitcoin and then lost a device or um, there are a number of different ways to custody your coins. There are warm wallets, meaning they are attached warm or hot. They're attached constantly to the Internet. That would be like an app or a laptop, a browser. Then there are what we call cold storage, which is not connected unless and until you connect it to make a transaction. Uh, that's like Ledger. Uh, there are some others as well. So that is a, an education process. I have a lot of different ways that people can get that from free 99 all the way up to a white glove service that's 10K where people have a lot of money in no time and don't want to be bothered with the details. You have to learn the process of setting up your own wallet, transferring off of a centralized platform, or we really haven't advanced the, the ball. I don't uh, go with Coinbase per, per se. A lot of things, they are a legitimate site for sure. And they were the first. So it's no uh, not taking away from the the, um, the process itself, 
they had some issues in terms of some of their their employees. There was a New York Times article that came out right before they went public. And I know that I'm going to vote with my wallet. And so I use others. I'm not sponsoring or endorsing others, but I did want to say that um, as well. But we have to figure out how not only to buy, but to custody and grow it over a long time. That's the part that takes some time. Mm-hmm. So cash app for Bitcoin exchanges, their exchanges like um, Gemini, Kraken, um, where you shouldn't buy PayPal, currently Robinhood, because you can buy, but you cannot take your crypto off of those platforms. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like going into a, you just might as well just go into a, 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 a casino and you're going to take your money, you change it into their chip, you play as long as you want to, but you have to cash out before you leave that casino. And that's the way PayPal currently is running. I think there will be a day where you can pull it. You can pull it off right now. You cannot pull your crypto off of those platforms. And so you should be very careful. A lot of people were pissed off to find that out after the fact. Wow. Wow. I did not so know that. So let me ask you, um, that's, that's fantastic information. I didn't know that. I do have a Coinbase account because... The years ago when I bought my little bit of Bitcoin, yes, um, that was the only place I yes. knew to get it. And 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 like you said, custody yes. and understanding, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I almost panicked, like, like I'm because I thought I didn't have my password. <laughs> anymore. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Where's my Coinbase password? And and thankfully I did have it, but I clearly got some work to do. I I, I feel attacked yet supported <laughs> in my call out. Like, attacked and supported. Attacked and supported because I got I got some work to do. Clearly to to custody my stuff and and figure out wallets and yes. all the rest of that. Um, but I wanted to ask because you know Bitcoin is finite. You know, at some point I think Rob said there's only three million left to be mined. Um, and and we don't yes. necessarily need to get in the weeds of of how that process works. But um, once it's all mined, um, does it mm-hmm. number one does it still make sense to buy it? Number two, can it still go up in value when there when there's no more left to to get? That's when it really gets fun. Right now, it's it's interesting. When you have something that is verifiably scarce, not like the scarcity of gold until we found more gold. So I need to understand that. And we're going up into space. So I'm sure there's gold there. It's fine. Right. (laughs) But we have something that is verifiably scarce. And most of them are already in the world before governments and big business even figured it out. They'll never have all of it, which, first of all, is the first point. When the 21 million Bitcoin is mined, transactions will still go on. But because there are no more and more and more people will have found out by then, the numbers like this is not legal or financial advice. But in my humble estimation, that's when the roof is blown off of this. Right. Right. Come on, lawyer. Come on. Disclaimer. That's when it really gets interesting because look at where we are right now. And um, even the when you look at historically over time, uh, Bitcoin launched in 2009, didn't really start getting interesting about until about 2014, uh, then 2017, and then we're off to the races, up and down. Mm-hmm. But historically speaking, even when you see Bitcoin in particular pull back, the lows in those bear markets tend to be higher than the previous high. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So that, you know, then you extrapolate to the future, right? Now it could all, you know, something could happen that could throw that off kilter. But we have 12 years of historical data of Bitcoin in particular. Ethereum came around in 2014 or 2015. And you have a lot of uh, Johnny and James come lately since that time that have some utility. Like the questions to ask, what does this do? If it's just like a meme coin and you're happy to trade it and laugh about it and you play with your money, that's fine. 
That's your business, as Tabitha Brown would say. For me and my house, we want something that is going to appreciate over time or is going to have some utility. Like uh, you have all of these exchanges that tend to have their own coin too. Finance.us, you know, the BNB token, it has its own value, but you get discounts on the platform. Gemini has its own coin. And so they have some of value in addition to, uh, and I should say some utility in in addition to value. And then there are a bunch of coins we call them altcoins or some other coins. I don't know. My mom, I, you know, she'll be listening. So I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it classy. But you have thousands of them that are fill in the blank coins and right. you might want to play with it. But if you're going to play anyway, play, play with something that's going to appreciate over time. Yes, 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 yes. And I think um, I think we're getting close. I wanted to ask uh, one more question and, and then you guys open it up. Should Thank we you. Thank at- you, Stephanie. <laughs> we appreciate your generosity. <laughs> I love y'all. I mean it. Um, should we be looking at Bitcoin adjacent um, investments as well? Because like I was just reading mm. about those two facilities down in Texas um, that that are right next to each other, that mine. Um, and and one of them, high, I think it was called High Fidelity. It was, it was Hyde something. They mm. just went public um, recently. You know, the power companies are going to get paid off of all of this. Like, you know, should we be looking at these other adjacent industries as good investments as well? I love that approach because it's a both and not an either or. And a lot of people have made money on what a colleague, uh, Samson Williams, uh, says all the time. He wasn't necessarily interested in the gold rush that went out to get gold. But for the, all of those folks who were going out to get gold, they needed a tent. They needed axes. They needed eggs. They needed pots and pans. (laughs) So anything that is going to support this system, I'd be very interested to look at at companies that are investing in the space. Absolutely. Which is so amazing. And this is my last point, because this is still the ground floor. We've always... Right. Uh, black folks specifically, you know, we felt like we have missed the boat. We felt, you know, n- no mm-hmm. pun intended. Absolutely. Uh, we felt like Oof. Um, <laughs> we, we have we have missed the opportunity so much so now that we have to knock on the door and beg the gatekeepers to give us equity, to give us inclusion, to give us diversity. Mm-hmm. To please, please, please share your uh, assets, share your wealth. You know, this, in my opinion, is just such a interesting opportunity to where we can we can blaze our own trail without without permission without governance without authority so i just want you know uh you can probably say it better than i can to just how can you stress the importance of people specifically who look like us to get involved specifically because of the barriers we've had up until now i think you said it really well yourself <laughs> I appreciate that. Seriously. <laughs> absolutely Absolutely. No, there's not a lot I can add to that. It's just, again, uh, finding reputable sources and committing to do one thing Mm -hmm. that this time next month, we can't fool around with a year. Mm -hmm. We fooled around with a year and went from 9,100 to 62,000. So let's not this time next year have that same story where you quote unquote missed out. And it's like, oh, now it's really too high. Literally every year people say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's making a commitment at this moment in time that tomorrow and next week and next month, you'll be in a better place and be closer to your goals. My, I, I actually am not only am I highly risk adverse, I'm extremely private, but I've started talking about my own experiences and how crypto has transformed my life. That this last 18 months, most of the crypto that I've held 
um, is because of my, the paid board position that I have. I'm paid in crypto. So I wouldn't buy more than three to 5% if I were balancing out and my money managers, I'm insane with the, you know, the, I'm probably need to get closer to a five to 7%, definitely not more than 10% of a portfolio. Okay. But because I was earning it, it just was what it was. And when I first started earning in that realm, they were worth hundreds of dollars. And they went up to thousands of dollars. That literally transformed my life. So I get to live my life on my own terms. I mm. bought mm. my mother a home this year. And I was using OPM, but it, uh, originally other people's money, if y'all not down. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> But what I realized is the same bank that held all of my assets and thought that everything I did was great. For, I've been in my industry for 25 plus years. All of a sudden there were a million questions. They wanted a pint of blood. Uh, everything that if oh, I have excellent credit, no debt, and I'm living my fabulous life. If a white man had walked into that bank to uh, to present that portfolio, that loan would have been granted in two weeks. Right. And it got to the point where I still, I ended up leaving that. I found another place that was willing to do the deal in two weeks, long story short. And then two weeks later, that mortgage originator sold the loan to who? But that previous okay. bank. Right. And I, I said, not that. today, Satan. In between meetings, paid that loan off. Mm-hmm. And it cost them more money to set up and transfer. And then they had to give me my escrow back. I bought a home that already was built in equity. I'm not relying on other people. But this is the house that crypto built. Right. I paid off my debt. I paid off my mom's debt. I helped uh, other family members. And I am investing in things that are going to be around long after I am. This is the reason that we have to do this on our own terms. And it starts today with an asset that we have access to if we lean into it. This won't be about somebody else keeping us out this time. This is about us. Yeah. So let me give you a chance to talk about your um, Advantage Evans Academy and from from cash to crypto. Talk about what those two programs are uh, designed to do. So uh, when I first started it, it was really to everything that we're doing right now to kind of packages up package it up in a way where I can't be all places. I still have that day job uh, as well. And giving my law students my undivided attention, but I wanted to find a way to share this information in a number of different ways. So certainly uh, on a weekly basis, my podcast, uh, Tech Intersect. So please, it drops Tuesdays at noon. Please check that out across all platforms. Advantage Evans Academy has a number of different ways to uh, support people in their onboarding process. And that's where From Cash to Crypto came. So all the questions you all asked me, usually in 90 days, depending upon the program, um, I have a membership club. So that's $99 a quarter. I know you have spent worse $100 uh, $100 than that, right? Or $365. (laughs) Let's go. Come on. (laughs) Right. Okay. Or $365 a year to be a part of the club. Once a month we get on, I do a masterclass. I have some of my friends come on as well. And we teach people how to set up their wallet, how to purchase, how to set up an exchange account, how to move from place to place, how to stake, how to take out loans over the process. And so the monthly membership supports that. And then I have more um, substantive things as well. So the courses, I have three courses that I offer now. One is the, the pure onboarding that has me show up live and then 90 days of support with the club. And uh, those are cohorts. So they're a little more intensive. And I have one-on-ones with the people who go through that program. All the way up to, again, the, the white glove onboarding experience. If someone wants to work with me specifically, that's like a one-on-one 
$10,000 experience. They're with me for about six months and I take them from beginning to end and we do a lot of sophisticated stuff that maybe, and it doesn't even have to be sophisticated. Some people, sometimes you have money and no time and it's easier for someone to take you through. They're not interested in going through with a cohort, but most people um, take either the on-demand course, which you could buy it today, sign up, so $9.97, and that gets you a multi-module, multi-lesson experience and also membership into the club. So there are a full range of things at AdvantageEvans.com. You can find out more about those things all the way from the membership, all the way up to the white glove service. Awesome. Awesome. So, oh, the one other thing I oh. wanted to say, the um, other course is the NFT law guide course. So the things that we were talking about with the NFT space, a lot of creatives and collectors or investors were interested in the legal implications generally, but the um, intellectual property aspect. So talking about if somebody is minting an NFT, how to protect themselves, how to leverage their copyrights and other things to protect themselves and, and to really monetize, not just on that first sale, but downstream revenues, which is really exciting. Um, in the NFT world too. Out That's why y'all need your NFT man. and you need a coin. Right. We, will, we need to get an NFT on our on our logo or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go. On coin. I, I love it. Uh, Rob, did you have any? I was just questions? I was just going to you know you know start to to wrap us up. And mm-hmm. Pro- Professor Evans, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on. And, uh, and and school us on some of this stuff. I definitely have learned some things. I'm sitting here taking notes. Oh, ooh, I didn't know you could do that. I, I didn't know you should do this. I didn't know you shouldn't. I didn't know that you couldn't take your stuff off of uh, off of Robin Hood. I did not know that. Yeah, that is that is a good thing to know. Well, you should have known that Robin Hood. They suspect from the jump, but that's a whole other yeah. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that another show. But I I did not know that. I didn't know it about PayPal either. So. Um, you know, that, that right. is good information. Cash app is the way to go. So, um, Absolutely. If, if, if you, if you, and I don't get, get anything from cash app and I don't get anything, whether somebody buys Bitcoin or not, that's the other great thing. You don't have to trust anybody in this space. In fact, if someone is buying on your behalf, that's when you seriously pump the brakes. I don't want anything to do with custody. I am not a broker dealer. I am an educator trying to get you from point A to point B. Be safely, legally, and confidently. And if somebody is not speaking that game, then you need to walk in the other direction. That's right. That's right. So once again, Dr. Professor Evans, this was awesome having you come on, being our first guest. We thank you so much mm-hmm. for showing up and you know and, and spending some time with us. And as I was saying, I've already I've got like times written down here on my on my little desk. Oh, I need to go clip this. I need to go clip that and just put it because you you've been dropping some nuggets. <laughs> Uh, that uh, particularly, you know, um, you know, our family should be listening to this and, and, and doing this. It's you know, the, the time is now to get in on this. Like you said, it was ninety one hundred last year. It is sixty two thousand three hundred right. and something, and some change as of right now. I just looked, so it is. It, yes. You know, it, you know, we, we need to be in this. Um, you know, as a people, you know, we should really be looking at this. Um, and once again, we just thank you so much for taking the time. We cannot thank Professor Tanya M. Evans enough for supporting us and being our first interview on the Tech Journal. We also cannot thank our patrons enough for supporting us over at patreon.com forward slash the Tech John. This week we had a few new patrons Craig Prawl, Les Green, Osh Park, Kyle Burrell, and Ejali. Thank you once again for supporting the show.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 